All right, uh, Michelle, yeah. uh, welcome to Studio 9. Amazing, thank Our you. Our amazing, stupendous podcast uh, <laughs> that we have here. Um, so, Michelle, let's start right from the beginning um, because you need to explain to me yes. one more time the pronunciation <laughs> of your last name so so you know everyone can remember and yes. everyone who's listening for the first time will know who you are and yes. then we're going to get into the story so tell me michelle your name yeah so my name is michelle chiquanine and it's pronounced chick like a little baby chicken chick. wa like a baby crying ni, ni the knee that we all have and then ne the sound the horse makes so, so chiquanine chiquanine yes Michelle Chikwanine. Yes. And if you say it fast, it just flows. It just flows. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, do you have you had some pretty bizarre like names, uh, like your name being like <laughs> just destroyed? Yeah. Yeah. Like Chikna, Chikna, like Chikanine. All variations of it. So. Yeah. yeah. As a speaker, do you do you did you give up trying to explain, or just like did you just like because I, I heard the the introduction and they said. Uh, they want to see if I can get this right. Yeah. You said they want to see if you get it right. Do you do that? Like good, go, good luck, I or just, do you try and help them? I I honestly see it as an opportunity because when it first happened, I used to get really upset. I'm like, come on, it's just it's not really difficult. But then I, I realized, as a speaker, you always you're always looking for places to add more to your presentation, right. just more to add to the crowd, to interact with, especially. And I saw this opportunity as a good icebreaker. I already have my story is quite heavy enough, so you have to have moments of of just of breathing for the for the crowd itself for them to laugh and mm -hmm. and sort of capture them and to so, break that tension yeah exactly so right. my last name i saw it as an opportunity for an icebreaker right? well it's so, great yeah. it's fantastic and yeah. and i will never forget your name <laughs> yeah. i mean i knew this already but yeah. I, I i will never forget your name yeah. um and i'll never forget you <laughs> and awesome. because your story is um it's incredible it's it's heartbreaking um, it's inspiring in terms of where you are now and, and, and the fact that you've gotten to where you, you, where you are. Um, take us back to, if you can, and I, I know you take a lot of time to explain the story, but a little bit of the backstory. Mm -hmm. So take us back to, you know, growing up and getting to where you were. were, were well, like, just take us back to the beginning, or your earliest, like the earliest memories of what we're talking about here. Just take right. us back to the beginning of you. All right. Um, I mean, I grew up in a very normal family, and, and I think the point of my presentation was to try and draw that out, because I think sometimes there's such a huge disconnection of, of that side of the world, we never really get to hear those stories. And so I grew up in a very normal family with um, two older sisters, a younger sister, I was the only boy in my family, so my dad loved me the most. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, absolutely. I, I mean, why not? No, but, but no, my, my, my dad really loved the fact that he had a, a boy. He really had wanted that. And um, we spent a lot of time together. And my dad was my best friend in many ways growing up. Uh, even though I was a little bit of a, of a troublemaker and a shit disturber, uh, he always wanted to, to give me lessons. And so I grew up in that environment of a, of a man who was just incredibly powerful and a good human being, an activist. Uh, my mom was a women's rights activist, so activism was a huge part of who I am as a, as a kid. Um, and that sort of navigated, I navigated the world through that lens of, of activism, of seeing sort of the injustice that was happening around. Even at a very young age, I noticed that. And so when the injustice that I faced in my own life of being a child soldier and going through that experience became almost like a strange uh, reality, trying to comprehend, like, why me? Why, why my family? Why did I have to go through all of that? Um, and so that was a very difficult sort of time to try and, and figure out, like, my place in life after having such difficulties. 
And so when I came back home after being kidnapped as a child soldier, my dad sort of tried to shelter me from the world. And I was always with him whenever he was either at a meeting or when he was leading a rally with students, I was always by his side. Um, the day he was kidnapped, I was with my mom. We were actually by his side and then we went went away. And then by the time we came back, he was gone. And so the young, ch the childhood that I had in, in Congo was very tumultuous um, from being a child soldier to your dad being kidnapped. And, and all of these happened in a very short span of time. Um, and then ended up as a refugee. Uh, and so that was sort of the, the Congo aspect of it, of, of me growing up as a childhood. But more than that, you know, I, I even though there was such hardship, I, I'm so grateful that I grew up in that town. Um, from, you know, the characters of the old men slapping people in the market to the beautiful women with all these clothing and their, their work ethic to me was what was really important. Um, and that those were the things that, that I saw in my community, work ethic, um, community, uh, empathy, compassion. Those are all qualities that were in my town despite the hardship that was going on. When you look back at your life and your childhood, so you moved... Uh, so tell us again, you moved mm -hmm. to Canada, how old were you? I was 16 when I moved to Canada. So you were in, the, you were in Africa mm -hmm. from birth to, to 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you look, you, so you, how old are you now? Third? I'm 30. 30. Yeah. So you, you know, 14 years in Canada, you're looking now and you're looking at North American young people mm -hmm. and you see their, their childhood. Right. How do you feel when you see a young person in North America, in the U.S., in Canada, mm. and and do do you are you able to to wrap your head around like that upbringing compared to yours? Yeah, it was a very difficult. So when I first moved to Canada, I saw you know left Congo, went to Uganda, became a refugee, lived another different reality of like having nothing. You know, because I went from a family we're like middle class family with a home and house and a gate, and we're at least privileged to have things that most people in my town did not have. Left that, became a refugee with nothing in a plastic tent, literally lost everything. And we started from zero. Then my father died. And so the sadness of, of being a refugee and that reality was what I came with to Canada as a 16 year old. And my world had changed at that point. And I came to Canada knowing that there was great wealth in this place. And it's exactly what I saw. And I went to school and it's the reality that hit me, seeing how kids were felt entitled in a way. One of the things that I, I never talk about was actually one of the things that pushed me to speak was uh, in my grade 10 English class. I was sitting down and uh, the teacher looked at the seat that I was sitting at and he said, everyone that sits in that seat has an amazing story to tell. He didn't know me and I remember looking at him and I was like, are you talking to me? And he said, I want everyone to write an epiphany essay on something that's important to you, an aha moment. And behind me, I heard a girl saying how uh, for her birthday, she wanted her parents to buy her a pink Motorola razor that was flip phones when they're yeah, still. The old school flip yeah, the yeah. uh, They accidentally got her a black Motorola instead of the pink one that she wanted. And so she was saying how parents should listen to their kids because it's going to help them like yeah. in school to, to focus. And I remember thinking at the time, that's when I was also being bullied. And so I remember thinking, oh, they don't know what's happening in Congo or that the war in Congo is so connected to the, to the issues here. And so it was, it was those connections in school and seeing how so almost like we're very sheltered, a sheltered life mm -hmm. um, that I needed to sort of bring out the reality in that. 
but the greatest thing that I've seen, especially living here now as, as growing up and seeing young people who have become my friends as well, is the incredible like, ability to be compassionate and to be empathetic when they when they realize what is happening when you when they learn when they become critical thinkers and critical readers and, and people um they start to connect the world and they, they see their ability to connect to the world is is great right and we see that whether it's at this event or, or at many other summits that happen everywhere it's just young people have the ability to be very compassionate um the march for lives very recently another example of just yeah. young people amazing right yeah yeah it's interesting because i think what's important you know, for people like to, to hear your story, for young people to hear your story, um, living in North America is that perspective, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh my gosh, like Michelle's story is, and I, and I said this to, to someone after, I, the first time I ever heard you speak was I can't understand what Michelle's telling me. Right. Like I can't even like, I can't yeah. even relate to, I can relate to like, you know, like if your parents are divorced and my parents are divorced, right. I can relate to that, but I can't relate to your story. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a real, a real struggle. Um, do you, do you think, do you think you are, um, ha, okay, here, do you think if you had not come to Canada, mm -hmm. what, what do you think, where, where would you? What would I be, where would I be yeah. if had I not come to Canada? If you not come to the West? Mm. Very interesting question. For a very long time, I dreamt of becoming a soccer player. <laughs> it was my biggest dream. Right. It was either going to be a lawyer or a soccer player. And those were things I wanted to achieve. However, I think after, that was right before my father passed away. When my father passed, I think in many ways, I saw it as an opportunity to continue his legacy. So whether I'd come to Canada or not, I think I would still be working in this sort of field in a, in a different way. I'd probably be more inclined in the political field rather than more in the social sort of justice field in general. I mean, politics and social justice can intermingle in, in many ways, but that's sort of probably where I would have been more. Um, but who knows? I mean, <laughs> life can be, can throw you so many different things, but uh, yeah. yeah. You, you, um, now you say that uh, the Congo mm. is the greatest country yeah. in the whole world. In the whole world. <laughs> um, living now in the West, yeah. in North America, in Canada, yeah. I mean, do you, have you embraced Canada? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean. So it's like a close second? It's a close second. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think, but I think it's just that the idea of home, you know, if you're Canadian and you were born here, you'll say Canada is the greatest country in the world. Right. Um, in America, they'll challenge you like, no, 100%. we're the greatest, yeah. you know? So I think that's, it's more of a world thing. Right. Um, but I think Congo to me is the greatest country in the world in terms of just the people. Like, and anyone that has ever traveled to the Congo, despite all the things that happen, it's like these people are full of life and they never stop. Um, and then Canada, one of the things that, I, things that I really, really enjoy about Canada and I've loved is you have this nation that is so different really from any other country on the planet and is, is shaping itself and, and the people that live in it um, to a new reality that's happening in the world, and you're seeing it every single day. I, I remember hearing someone say, uh, Shane Coison, who's a yes, great yes, spoken yes, word, yes. and he said in one of his poems, he said, Canada is an experiment going right. Yes. For once. Yeah. For once. I think that's a pretty cool way Absolutely. of looking at it. It is an experiment. Right. We're a young country. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows what will, what will happen. Yeah. But, um, so you're you're right now currently in the world you are at you're doing school, school yes so where you at? yeah so right now i'm just uh by june i'll be done my uh, my undergrad in um, um african studies and a minor in economics 
I've been doing this for, I've been going through school for nine years. Yeah, you're getting old, you're an old student. It, yeah, uh, and primarily it was because, so when I came to Canada, we, we didn't have any money. We came as refugees. When you come as a refugee, you owe money. It's not a free, a lot of people tend to they think it's think a free. That. No, we, we had to pay for our ticket, uh, visa that brought us here. Um, we ate cookies at the our, on our, because you go through this extensive interview for like years and years. People and don't realize that. People think no. it's like, oh, it's you know, like, high five, yeah, you're in. no. And then anyway, so we had to pay this money back and this interest on it. My mom couldn't work. My younger sister couldn't work at that time. So I had to work. And I worked three jobs in high school while I was going to what school. What were the jobs? Um, I did, I was a janitor at a hospital. And I'd, so I'd, at three, I'd finish school, get on the bus at four, work from five till, till 8 p.m. as a janitor at uh, Canadian, Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation in Ottawa. Then I'd walk across the street to the hospital nearby and I'd work there, Montfort Hospital, work, work there for two hours, finish there, go to Ikea. And I'd work from Ikea for, until 1 a.m. What did you do at Ikea? Janitor as well. Oh, I was doing okay. janitor. All oh, all jobs were janitorial jobs. jobs. You weren't building those. No, I was horrible. not building. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the furniture. Would you gotcha go? No dressers. You're not no. doing that. All right. No, but uh, so you had three different jobs. So I had three different jobs in and high school, school and school. You like this is in grade ten, grade eleven. This I started in grade eleven. Yeah, uh, grade eleven, and then that that really hit me hard. Yeah, um, and no, my no my grades. Life. Yeah, no, my grades dropped very very quickly, but. All these things also added to why I even started speaking. So my sister gets kidnapped in grade 11 uh, when, when I was in grade 11, 2006. And this affects me so emotionally. My mom is trying to push me to go to university. And there's all these pressures all around me. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what do I do? Uh, but I, have a, uh, I went to a Catholic high school and the chaplain there saw that I was struggling. And so she pulled me aside and she said, have you ever told your story? And so I told my story to my school for the very first time. Wow. And it was such a, a powerful moment for me. And that's what pushed me along with the kid that was writing up the wanted yeah. the, the Motola Razor. So, I mean, I, I'm wondering if when you, by you telling your story, was that in any way, shape or form, like a, a way of take, like letting it out go mm -hmm. a little bit? Yes. It's, at first, I didn't really think that was going to do, because she thought that, she said, I think it's going to be a helpful moment for you because, you know, you're, you have your sister thing, you have work and all these things. It might help to just speak to someone. The first day I spoke to, to, to my school, it was almost like a very therapeutic experience. Like, we were, everyone was crying. I was crying because it was the very first time I'd ever shared that. Um, and so I cried and I cried, and but I didn't share my child soldier story actually. I just shared my my story as a refugee, because the child soldier story was still something that I wouldn't even accept. You know, something I was still working with, with, my, with my own, yeah. Um, and so that pushed me into speaking, and then eventually made my way with the Kilberger brothers um, and started speaking with them. Um, and then went back. My mom threatened that if I didn't go back to school, she was going to burn down their office. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So you had to make a choice. So I had to make a choice. What do I do? Um, and so I went to school. Uh, but because I couldn't afford to pay for school, I had to work. So the reason why it took school took so long uh, was I was working, so speak traveling and speaking, yeah. um, as well as going to school. So you're still, what's your schedule? Are you busy? I'm quite busy, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this week, I'm right after here, actually, uh, right after tomorrow. So Wednesday, I'm on a flight to St. Louis, and I'm there for three days, and then I come back. Wow. Yeah. If if you could give yourself advice, like yes. if you could go back to um, your twelve-year-old self, mm -hmm. your thirteen-year-old self, what would you what would you say to you, what would you say to you? I'd say take a moment to read. 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 Um, 
I never read. I, I, my dad loved reading, but we didn't have, uh, because of just reality of life, we didn't have access to books as much as we are here. Uh, and I say reading because I think reading for me has, has brought reading and writing, read and write. I think those two things have been so influential in, 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 in bringing me to a point where I feel so comfortable with myself um, and writing in the aspect of reflecting. Um, and I don't think as a society we don't take enough time to reflect. But these are habits we have to create from a very young age. And one thing that I've definitely noticed is that not every young person here reflects. We don't do that. And I think there's such an importance in actually reflecting to, in ourselves and taking moment for ourselves because our society demands so much of us um, that by the time we reach our teenage years, by the time we get into university, like we're lost because we don't even know who we are. you know. And that all comes from... You create those habits, small habits of just taking even two hours to sit down and just write. How did you feel today? Do you keep a journal? Yes. And, and yes. on average, how often do you write now? Um, I write about, uh, at least every two weeks, I try to, to fill out at least like four pages. Right. Yeah. And is that like you can just write a few lines or you just sit down and write four It depends on, on how I'm feeling, right? right? So for example, like this week, I haven't slept for the last two weeks. Just night reality of my, of my, my, my life, it's... There are days where I'll go and I just can't sleep because my head's just replaying all these vivid memories. Um, and then just social realities of, of you know, having a, a girlfriend and, and all those, those school. Kind of school and all of that stuff just impact you. Um, and so I write. You know, like this week, I've, so I've, I've written literally almost half of my journal is gone. Wow. Just Journaling's from amazing. It's incredible. People, some people don't think, especially young men don't think it's no. something that's cool to do, oh, but it's important. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? Mm. You finished university, at least your undergrad. Like yes. what's what's your what's your five year journey right now? If I was we were sit down and have another right. chat five years from now in Studio Nine. Yeah. <laughs> uh what would the where'd you be? I don't know. You know, uh, and I'm 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 getting to be comfortable with the idea of not knowing. I think right. too many uh, being in, in university, you know, that's some the question that we get so many like, what do you want to do? And you get all these universities to that are so anxious and because they're like, Oh my god, my life is not together. But it's okay to not know. I think there's there's a power in that. However, I I have so many plans that I want to do. In the next five years I've gotten so many opportunities through speaking to meet so many incredible people. So General Delaire um, is an incredible Canadian hero, one of the people that I've, I've, I admire and has given me opportunities to work with him um, on the issue of child soldiers specifically. And then I got the opportunity with the UN um, fellowship in Geneva. And so that's kind of where I'm looking for. Um, so I want to finish my master's degree as well in, as in, uh, in human rights. Okay. Uh, and then work within uh, the United Nations Human Rights Commission uh, or the United Nations Refugee Commission. Um, at our summer camp program, we have a thing called a flag. Yes. And a flag is a fearless, life-altering goal. So yes. it's like um, the most ridiculous thing you could think yourself yes. doing. Like, yes. And, and, and you, you can't say, oh, I couldn't do it because I don't have this or that. Yes. It's just yes. like, what is the most ridiculous thing? You yeah. would like? What's that one thing, Michelle, you would just like, you would like, what's your flag? Like, what would it be the one thing? It's like, gosh, mm. if I could just do that. You know, would you ever want to go back to... Yes. I'd be, want to be the president of the Congo. See, that, that's a flag. Yes. That's a fearless yes. flag. That's huge. Yeah. You would do that. That's something I'd you would do. Yeah. You, could, you, could, you can close your eyes and think, gosh, that'd be... Yes, absolutely. And it sounds very arrogant, but it's not really arrogance. It's more of a... I think the Congo is at an opportunity. We have 
35% of Congo's population, at least in 2012 back then, was under the age of 15. It's an extremely young population. And you have leaders who, in the Congo specifically, who are hell-bent on... They're, they're earning money from this... Our economic structure of the world is so designed that corruption builds in it. So they see that, oh, I'm getting $15 million. I can put it in my pocket. But they're not realizing that the companies that are giving them a $15 million are taking like billions of dollars out. Yeah. Lots money money that could be used to help with education, build infrastructure, and all those things. Um, and so those are dreams that I want for my country. Um, right. Yeah. So you could do it. When I, I close I my eyes, that's something I think about. I can about. see you doing it. Yeah. I really can. Oh, I mean, you, you have uh, an ability and a charisma and a connection with people, all people that are, it's just exceptional. Oh, you thanks. You should know that. Um, so one thing I always like to ask is, mm. uh, it's 2018, so everyone's got a cell phone. Right. Um, if you could send a text... One text message, one sentence text message. I used, I used to say tweet, but I don't use that word anymore. Yeah, yeah. Tweet's got a bad name <laughs> no. now. So, um, <laughs> right? So yeah. if you could send a text message to everybody all at once, yes. the whole world, boom. What's the, like, so um, you know, it's like the old, like, if you had a, on a billboard, right. you had what message? Like, what's the text you would send everybody? So that like, you know, be kind. Whatever it is, like, I don't want to put that in your head, but mm. what is the one text you would send to everybody in the world? Your message to everybody. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Why? That, why? Why does that come from? Because I think uh, my personal opinion, I'm, I'm noticing, at least what you're noticing in the world, um, it sounds very corny, but in, ge in general, like we're living in a world that, that's so isolated. Like we're connected, but yet we're so isolated. And we're seeing that whether it's Donald Trump or whatever, right? We, we're seeing that in our, in our political field, in our societal field, like young people who are depression and mm -hmm. all these things and i think for me it comes from the aspect of our society where we're becoming so individualized that our sense of community where we get loved right it lacks and at home where our parents if your parents are working really hard because the, the 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 standard of living is also high so parents have to work extra hard we don't have time to eat with dinner with our kids all these opportunities to love and i think being loved really helps you connect as a human being because if you feel like your base is secure, you will grow in other mm -hmm. areas. Your foundation. Right? Yes. Um, two, two more questions. Yes. One, uh, Trevor Noah, who I'm a big fan of. Yes, yes. Um, he, was, he was saying the other day about um, with the whole um, the Me Too movement yes. and, 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 and the, the issues with women's rights mm -hmm. and, and, and he said in Africa, he said, women are held so high. Mm -hmm. The mothers are held so high because yes. you're scared of them. Yeah. <laughs> but um, is, is there a difference in Africa and the Congo? And is, it, is there a difference between how women are, are, are held are treated, high or yeah, are treated yeah. differently? Is it well, I think, you know, the continent, like I said today in my presentation, the continent of Africa is, is, is this like interesting continent with so, so much, so many different people, realities and, and, and cultures. Women in general, yes, I, I held at a high standard, but I think there's also uh, the continent's history of colonialism has left a legacy of, of patriarchy, especially with Christianity, uh, has added to it. As sad as the Christianity that was brought to the continent really changed the structures of the continent, so the cultural aspect of the, of the continent. Not all communities, not all cultures were patriarchal. There were matriarchal cultures, for example, in Ghana, where women were the leaders of the communities. Um, but all of that changed. And so you're, you're noticing this, this young generation that's growing up with 
this patriarchal society structure that we have in our world and so they view women through that prism mm. because they are also being impacted through globalization right. by that um so yes women are held high in the standard and from cultural perspective but that's being challenged by sort of the globalization that we're noticing similar problems similar problems so yeah. you you i would say in the congo for example you know yeah people women are are, are are respected but yet congo is the the rape capital of the world Right. Wow. Right. Rape is used as a weapon of war. So wow. women still are being impacted on a very negative basis, and I think those are the those conversations need to need to be had because I think, and that's why I love Thomas Sankara, one of the the incredible young leaders in Africa that I highlighted. He was this incredible young man for his time. What he was pushing, like mm -hmm. feminism on on the continent of Africa, he was pushing old. For African men to let their women go and work, things that were like, no, that should never happen. You know what I mean? But those were things that were not happening. He wow. was pushing to happen. And one thing that I really learned uh, from my dad at a very young age was my dad sometimes would wake up and he'd make breakfast and clean the house. Early in the morning, wake up, clean, make breakfast. To me, as a, as a young person, as a young African male, that was revolutionary. Because no one in my town, no male will ever do that because that was a female job. But my dad would always do it as an example that you, your mom needs a break. Mm -hmm. Your mom worked really hard. And you can do and this. And you can do this too. You shouldn't be lazy yeah. waiting for, you're not, she's not your servant. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so from a very young age, those were things my father instilled in me, things that I still hold to a very high standard of myself to this very day. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, last question. Yes. What is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> Now that we can, that that, that is that is G rated. Okay. Uh, is, <laughs> well, I was like, how, how, yeah, how, how, yeah, well, hold on okay. here. <laughs> um, but like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do. What's your favorite? Like, what do you, what do you, what's your TV show? What you, what do you watch? What do you, what, what? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I, I, I think it's. I read the books and they were amazing. Yeah. Uh, this TV show is of course different, but anyways, a lot. That's yeah. that's for me. It's my favorite show. Right. Um, I'm a huge soccer fan, so like, I love. I love watching everything soccer. Really? Sometimes before I go to sleep, I'll watch I'll watch soccer videos like people playing FIFA. Right. No, like playing the video game. Playing the video game because I don't have time to play it. So you just watch. So else. I watch you somebody live else vicariously. So exactly video because games. I only I only have maybe twenty minutes to watch something yeah. or maybe just five minutes. But to the me, real, real, yeah, you don't watch like, the real people. You watch the video. Game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, That's all right. A guilty Who inspires you? There's a lot of people that inspire me, but I think for me, my father has always and will always be the biggest inspiration I have. Right. Um, cool. Is I, I loved him as a man, as right. a human being. He was, yeah. he was great. If you could have uh, one more, uh, if you could ask your dad one more question, mm. if you could have that chance to ask your dad a question or would tell your dad something, mm. what would it be? Wow, that's a very good question. I know, it's I've deep. Never, I've never really thought of that. Yeah, Studio 9 <laughs> um, gets deep. What's the biggest lesson? I'd ask him what's the biggest lesson he learned in yeah. life. What do you think it would be? What do you think? What do you think he? he I think would he say? Was, I think he would say he learned from his dad uh, the importance of of chasing purpose. Um, his father was a very flawed man, but he kicked my dad out when he was seventeen, and he said, "You have to go find your way. I found my way. You find your way." And it, it sort of forced my dad to really think hard about what he wanted to be, what he wanted to do. When other young men at that point in his life, really, when he used to tell me this, 
were like you know drinking and getting into music and all that stuff and he became very focused on what he wanted to do which was which is how he got involved into politics and human rights activism wow. so chased his purpose yeah. that's awesome mm -hmm. thank you i gotta be respectful of your time you have been uh, amazing thank you I so much i appreciate dude. you oh. and you are a blessing thank you very much thank for you. having me thanks man thanks dude Because you need to explain to me yes. one more time the pronunciation <laughs> of your last name, so so you know, everyone can remember, and yes. everyone who's listening for the first time will know who you are, and yes. then we're going to get into the story. So tell me, Michelle, your name. Yeah, so my name is Michelle Chiquanine, and it's pronounced Chick, like a little baby chicken. Chick. Wa, like a baby crying. Wa. Ni, ni, the ni that we all have, and then ne, the sound the horse makes, so, so. Chiquanine. 